If you have your Bibles, I'd like you to open them up. If you have a sermon outline you've picked up on your way in, uh, you could get that out and ready. Open your Three Crosses app. You can take notes there as well if you would like. If you're using that book rack Bible in front of you, we're going to start in Ecclesiastes 9 today. That's on page 1044-1044. Find your way to Ecclesiastes 9, please. So for those of you that might be kind of new to us or you haven't been around for a bit, we're continuing in our study series called The Good Life, and we're looking at the wisdom literature books of the Old Testament, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes. Song of Songs is included in that list too, but we're going to be skipping that book and going to the book of Job for the purpose of this series. And it's an amazing uh, portion of scripture, this wisdom literature. Because it's pointing all of us to what the good life is about. Now, the book of Proverbs showed us a very cause and effect type of relationship. We do the right things, we do what God tells us to do, and our life comes out conceivably and, and predictably better. But then we come to the book of Ecclesiastes, and we kind of have to see a different angle of wisdom because here in this book, it's not so much a predictability that is being spoken of, but an unpredictability of life. And we're looking at this book for five weeks only. It's an amazing book, and we're only going to be in it five weeks. Last week we started, and we'll be finished in three weeks. But the first two weeks of this series in Ecclesiastes, I'm calling the weeks of the dark matter. Because the dark matter is this heavy, pervasive influence that you really can't get your mind around necessarily. It's there you can't necessarily see it, but it's there. It's just always buzzing behind the scenes. It's always pressing in on our lives. And the first movement of that dark matter we looked at last week, and that is the chaotic uh, counterfeits that people run after to find meaning in life. And whether it's wisdom, intellectualism, whether it's pleasure or wealth and materialism, maybe it's you know work, relationships, even religion, all of those things, according to the book of Ecclesiastes, comes up short. They all have a level of meaning. The Bible doesn't say that those things don't have any meaning. It's just not enough. It's just not what brings us to where our souls cry out for. And so that's what this book is kind of going after. And by the way, those five categories that we looked at last week, uh, maybe you're thinking, well, there might be something else out there. But actually, if you look Back at chapter 1, it tells us in verse 2 that utterly meaningless, everything is meaningless. So it's not just five categories, it's everything in life. Whatever you pour yourself into in this life, life under the sun, the book of Ecclesiastes says, is going to come up short. Now to add to the dark matter, we're going to look this morning at some observations that the critic tells us that is sort of always buzzing behind the scenes of life. In other words, as you're pursuing the things that oftentimes you think are going to bring meaning to your life, there's this subtle reminder that is always bringing us off point. There's this, there's this nagging reminder about life that, that sort of wants to bust the meaning of life in our hearts. And these things that we're going to look at today, I'm going to show you five. There are probably a few more, but these are prominent themes in the book Uh, And by the way, and I'm just going to say it one more time, uh, you know, if you thought last week was hard, this week's going to be a little harder, okay? Now, you know, it's great when a pastor starts a sermon like that. It's just, you know, really setting you up for a really great time. Um, But actually it is. It's it's quite liberating. 
And we're going to be looking at these five observations that the critic is going to notice about life today. And these are things that we notice too. And, and they're going to be things that will help set in mind the final three weeks, which is where the sun kind of comes out and shows us a different view uh, about all that we've looked at so far. Okay? So if you're following along, um, we're going to start with this first observation. And this week, instead of reading the text, there's so many texts we're going to look at, I'm going to kind of go from uh, principle to the text, and we're going to kind of move through the, through the, the outline that way. So here in chapter 9, this first observation that we're going to make about life, this dark matter observation, is that there's this peril of randomness that's about life. There's this random nature of life, and we're going to see this here in chapter 9. In fact, we're going to back up if you're there in chapter 9. Just look at chapter 8, verse 14, where it starts, and he says, the critic says, there's something else meaningless that occurs on earth. Righteous men who get what the wicked deserve and wicked men who get what the righteous deserve, this too, I say, is meaningless. Okay, jump over to chapter 9, verse 1. So I reflected on all this and concluded that the righteous and the wise and what they do are in God's hands. But no one knows whether love or hate awaits him. All share a common destiny, the righteous and the wicked, the good and the bad, the clean and the unclean, those who offer sacrifices, those who do not. As it is with the good man, so with the sinner. As it is with those who take oaths, so with those who are afraid to take them. This is the evil in everything that happens under the sun. The same destiny overtakes all. The hearts of men, moreover, are full of evil, and there is, there is madness in their hearts, while they live and afterward they join the dead. Drop down to verse 11. I have seen something else under the sun. The race is not to the swift or the battle to the strong, nor does the food come to the wise or wealth to the brilliant or favor to the learned, but time and chance happen to them all. All right, encouraging text. <laughs> It is, actually, because this is pointing, This is the dark matter of Ecclesiastes. It's saying, look, when you go through life and you're pursuing all the things that you think are going to be meaningful to you, there's this undergirding reality that keeps bumping into your experience, and that is life is random. Good things happen to bad people. Bad things happen to good people. There seems to be no rhyme or reason I'm a chaplain with the Alameda County Fire Department, and oftentimes when I sit in a station and talk to different crew members, they will reflect on the randomness of calls that they make. A person goes off the road in the car and just kind of bumps into a light pole. Just, you know, 15 miles an hour, head injury, comatose, dead. Someone else is riding a motorcycle and they're doing 100 miles an hour on Crow Canyon Road, and they wipe out, they go through trees, they land in a creek bed, and they've broken their arm. It's so random. A mother of two, beautiful, gracious woman of God, serves in the church. Her kids are growing. She homeschools them. She's just an amazing woman. And one day, she's not feeling so good. She goes to a checkup. She's got cancer, ovarian cancer. And for the next several years, she goes through chemo and radiation and treatment after treatment after treatment, and then she dies. I've seen that scenario work out so many times. It's terrible. People always say, how could it be? That person was such a good person. 
I can think of dozens of people that fit that scenario. And then there's others too. People that live their life in wanton pleasure, taking all they could, going through life just for themselves, not caring for anybody, and they get cancer too. And they die. It's like Ecclesiastes is reminding us that there are things that happen both good and bad to both good and bad people. There's just a randomness of life. And sometimes it feels so unjust. I hear people sometimes just say, wait, this is not fair. How could God have allowed that? It sometimes seems to be a plausible argument until you read this book and realize that good happens to bad, bad happens to good. There's a randomness of life that you can't explain. It's the dark matter of the universe. And God allows it that way. Christians can feel this way a lot. In fact, go to the Bible, if you hold your place in Ecclesiastes, and drop back to Psalms, please. Psalm 73. Psalm 73 is an interesting psalm. There's this randomness that affects the believer. Psalm 73, verse 1. Surely God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. Notice how he starts. I know God is good to those who have purity in their heart. But as for me, my feet had almost slipped. I had nearly lost my foothold, for I envied the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. Verse 13. Surely in vain I have kept my heart pure. In vain I have washed my hands in innocence. (laughs) Does it ever feel that way? You bet it does. Why am I living this way? Why am I denying myself things? Why am I saying no to temptation? Why am I holding back? Why? It doesn't seem to matter. I can live my life fully devoted to God, and I look around and I see someone living for themselves. They hate God. They curse God. They raise their fist at God, and they're making hand over fist. They're advancing in their life. They seem to have health and strength. What happened? I'll tell you what happened. Randomness happened. And this is what the book of Ecclesiastes talks about. Righteous people do well. Wicked people do well. Righteous people suffer. Wicked people suffer. There's no guarantee that your life will come out any different than anyone else. And of course, this leads some people to become pessimists in life. You meet people all the time that are just waiting for the next shoe to drop. You know, their other shoe to drop. It's like, I know I'm going to be cursed. I know there's going to be something bad because they look at life and they see how random it is. And then it makes some people into optimists. Oh, I'm going to beat the odds. Nothing's going to happen to me. I'm going to be one of those people that even though I live my life in a total wreckage, I'm going to come out great. Those two polarities can sort of guide people's journey here on earth. And the reality is optimists who make this observation And pessimists who make this observation are both right at the same time, but they're also both wrong at the same time. And that's because there's no predicting ultimately what's going to happen. That's what Ecclesiastes tells us. Now, that's the first first meaning buster that people experience. And if you've experienced that to some degree, uh, you're in good company because 
philosophers of the age, everybody on planet Earth have experienced the reality of randomness, the peril of randomness. And it in one way can set your course in a direction that is very productive for you, which we'll see in just a few minutes, or it will set your life on sort of an autopilot that you just live as you want to live and it doesn't matter because if you live rightly, you can fall. If you live badly, you might be raised up. So it doesn't matter. But it does matter. Here's the second meaning buster, and that is the certainty of death. Now, I know it's getting really quiet in here right now. Um, <clears throat> I told you today was going to be hard, but there's some beauty in today that you just got to hang in there for, okay? So if the person next to you is kind of like thinking to, they're closing their Bible and they're ready to walk out, just sit them down and say, hey, it's coming, it's coming. Okay, let's go back to Ecclesiastes 3, please. Ecclesiastes 3. The certainty of death reminds us here in verse 19 that all of us experience this reality. Man's fate, verse 19, is like that of the animals. The same fate awaits them both. As one dies, so does the other. All have the same breath. Man has no advantage over the animal. Everything is meaningless. All go to the same place, all come from dust, and to dust all return. Who knows if the spirit of man rises upward and if the spirit of the animal goes downward to the earth? In other words, have you ever stopped and wondered, are we really any different than animals? Now, there's kind of a movement today because so much of this world has sort of jettisoned any thought of a creator God that has purpose and meaning. You know, there are a lot of people that just ascribe to the fact that we are no different than animals. There's no difference between me and my pet dog at home. Uh, and that's what Ecclesiastes is saying here. When you kind of observe world, the world as it is, it, you can kind of come away with that kind of, kind of reality. Uh, but that's obviously not the case. The Bible tells us that we are God's crown creation, that we have been created in the image of God, Genesis 1. We have, we have the, a God print over us. We have a soul. Animals don't have souls. We are redemptive, uh, people that are, 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 uh, experience redemption. Animals don't experience redemption. Uh, at least the Bible tells us that. Now, you might think your dog does, but it, your dog doesn't. Never mind. We're not going to go there right now. <laughs> and by the way, I love dogs, just for the record. I'm a dog lover. Not so good on cats, but I love dogs. But here's, here's the reality. The most unsettling and scary truth that I've observed about death is that there are a lot of people that because of sort of this random nature of life and because of a, a, a position and a philosophy of life that doesn't include the surrender to a God who has created all things for his purposes, that there are people that now I meet all the time who are really not scared of death at all. Death is sort of like, eh, you know, it's a, it's a doorway into the best, you know, my, my best future. And, and what's scary about that is that the Bible never tells us that we should look at death that way. Death is a wake-up call. Death is a reminder of very big, important things. And that death should be feared. It's God's signpost to the world that judgment awaits. The Bible says the wages of sin is what? Every time death occurs, we're reminded of what sin does. Sin brings death to the world. And we do everything we can. We live in a very sanitized society. We don't like to be around death. We don't talk about death. 
when someone dies, you know, they get whisked off immediately to the funeral home where they're, you know, taken care of there. And I know in a crowd this size, we've got folks that have just recently lost loved ones. But, you know, we have to address it. We have to talk about it. I'm just praying for God's grace over your spirit right now because sometimes it's so close you don't even want to think about it. But the reality is death is something that God wants us to stare into and look at for what it is and actually drink it down to say, I know that I'm going to die. That's why the book of Ecclesiastes says, go over to chapter 7, look at this with me. This is so good. I, I use this a lot at funerals that I do. Verse 2, it is better to go to the house of mourning than to go to the house of feasting, for death is the destiny of every man, and the living should take this to what? heart. You see, the Bible tells us, God tells us, in the dark matter of Ecclesiastes, it's good to look at death. Death is the reminder of where all of us are headed. None of us, I think Mark Twain said, you know, the statistic on death is amazing. One out of every one person dies. As soon as we're born, we begin to die. Right now, there's 7.5 billion people alive in the world today. But how many people have already died? That's got to be in the multi, multiple, multiple billions of people. I mean, we who are alive are a part of what is actually a very small fraternity of people compared to the dead. And the reality is, the dead people have gone somewhere. Because the Bible says we have a soul that lives on after this body goes away. How do you live a good life? But by seeing your life in the perspective of death that is coming. But death apart from a, a God that is loving and, and compassionate and understands your needs and knows all of what you need in this life, if you look at death apart from that perspective, then it's just such a crushing reality that you're going to just push away as much as you possibly can. So we have to look at death. The, the peril of randomness, the certainty of death. Let's look at another myth, uh, another uh, meaning buster. And that is the march of time. The march of time. We're still in Ecclesiastes 3. If you go back to just the beginning of the chapter, it says this at the beginning. There is a time for everything and a season for every activity under heaven. Verse 2. A time to be born and a time to die. You think about time. I was talking to someone recently about the issue of time. It's a fascinating subject, isn't it? I mean, you can save it, you know, you can try, you can, you can try to save time, but time just keeps ticking by. And here in Ecclesiastes, this dark matter of the book reminds us that there's time for everything, everything under, under, under the sun. A time to be born, a time to day. Two dates mark separated by a dash. And here in the book, God gives us a little hope. If you're looking for a little hope amidst this dark matter this morning, look at verse 11. He has made everything beautiful in its time. He has also set eternity in the hearts of man, yet they cannot fathom what God has done from beginning to end. So we learn here that we live in time, but we yearn for eternity. 
There's something in, in the soul of every person that's actually yearning for eternity. And you know why I know that? Because I've done a lot of funeral services for people who, who, just by my impression of them, lived a life unto themselves. They didn't bow their knee to God. There was no sense of uh, a focus on God. And all the people around them at the funeral say, oh, they went on to a better place. I meet people very rarely who don't believe that there's some kind of better place. They may not have any idea what it is, but they believe that there's something out there. There's something beyond this life. There's a sense of eternity. And that's why this book is so powerful is because behind this dark matter, it's showing us this little glimpse, verse 11, there's this little glimpse that God is showing us here that God put this in our hearts. He's put in the heart of every person a sense that, yes, there's going to be death, but there's something beyond death. Are we ready? Have we come to the place of where we have seen our need for forgiveness of sins? And this, by the way, I always look for the gospel in every message, and this is so important, because God uses time and the reality of death to show us that every person needs to have a relationship with him. Now, you can ignore that. You can go your own way. You can skip through life and kind of find things that you occupy yourself with. But the Bible says that we're going to come to a place in life where we're going to recognize that we needed him. And if we ignore that, we're going to stand in eternity at judgment. And we're going to recognize in that one split second that all the opportunities we had in this life. That's why God gives us time. Time is a gift that he gives to us. I was thinking about this idea of time there's so many places in Scripture where it talks about this. Uh, for example, Jesus came in the fullness of time. It tells us that in Galatians 4.4. Well, when the time had fully come, God sent forth his son. God had this timetable, and when Jesus was born, it was a part of God's amazing plan to bring Jesus into this world. It was the perfect timing for the entrance of the Son of Man. God had time on his mind. In 2 Corinthians 6, verse 2, the Bible says that this is the day of salvation. Now is the time of God's favor. Now is the day of salvation. Colossians 4, 5 says that we should be wise in the way we act toward outsiders, making the most of our time. And then in uh, Romans 13, 11, we should remember that the hour has come to wake up from our slumber because salvation is nearer than when we first believed. Salvation is, uh, our ultimate salvation going to be with the Lord is nearer today than it was yesterday or the day before. And the Bible's constantly rehearsing this. And remember, Ecclesiastes asks the question that the rest of the Bible answers. And the one question that the Bible tells, asks us in Ecclesiastes is, what are you doing with time? And I just want to encourage anyone here that does not have a relationship with God, God brought you to this service today to show you that this is the time for you to trust in Christ, to believe that he died on the cross, that he rose from the grave, and that you don't have to spend one more second laboring in all this confusion of your life. You can trust in Christ, and he can come into your life through the power of the Holy Spirit, and God can begin to reveal his purpose for you so that you can live your life here on this world with full purpose, knowing that God's going to use everything for our good and for his glory. There's no accidents. We're living under the sovereign hand of God. Isn't it amazing? Randomness is suddenly brought right into focus. We don't have to worry anymore. God's in control. Death, our lives are in his hands. 
We know that even though we don't know the hour or the day of our death, God does. And he's giving us time to work things out in our lives. Praise God. Time is so important. It's a gift from God. And he wants us to use it. And I guess if I were adding to this list, I would say there's a time to start a sermon and a time to finish one. And so we need to keep going. The peril of randomness, the certainty of death, the march of time. Number four, the pervasiveness of evil. I'm not going to spend a lot of time on this one because I think this really goes without saying. You talk about a meaning buster. This is the one thing that the skeptic always uses to go against any notion that there's a God who loves this world. Because all you have to do is turn on the news and see all the evil that's out there. Let me walk you through some passages. You're in chapter 3, look at verse 16. I saw something else under the sun. In the place of judgment, wickedness was there. In the place of justice, wickedness was there. Chapter 4, verse 1. Again, I looked and saw all the oppression that was taking place under the sun. I saw the tears of the oppressed, and they have no comforter. Power was on the side of their oppressors, and they have no comforter. Chapter 8, verse 14, we read the beginning. There is something else meaningless that occurs. Righteous men get what wicked deserve. The wicked men get what the righteous deserve. This is meaningless. Notice the peril of randomness and the pervasiveness of evil all represented in one verse. In chapter 10, verse 1, as dead flies give perfume a bad smell, so a little folly outweighs wisdom and honor. Uh, What that's saying basically is it doesn't take a whole lot of evil to destroy a lot of good things. One crazy person with his finger on the trigger and life changes for a lot of people. Or the ISIS or the Al-Qaeda or all the other isms of this world and all the things that there just seems to be that people just have a propensity to do evil. It's crazy. We scratch our heads, don't we? We say, how could anybody do this? When you watch what happens, Charleston, shootings, every day, every day. We only hear parts of it, but it's every day. Evil is permeated through every course and every strata of our world. And we look at that and we go, oh man, you know, like you expect me to believe that there's a God in all of this? Look at all the violence. Look at all the terrible trauma of the world. And again, I'm suggesting to you that this is the dark matter that point us, should not depress us, but point us to what the real answer is. Which comes to the last meaning buster, and this is one you're going to scratch your head over, because believe it or not, the book of Ecclesiastes points to the last meaning buster as the mystery of God. (laughs) Okay, this is going to take a little work. Chapter 8, verse 17 The critic says, then I saw all that God has done. No one can comprehend what goes on under the sun. Despite all his efforts to search it out, man cannot discover its meaning. Even if a wise man claims he knows, he cannot really comprehend it. Look at chapter 11, verse 5. As you do not know the path of the wind or how the body is formed in a mother's womb, so you cannot understand the work of God the maker of all things. Listen, the God of Solomon's thinking here is not 
the God that we think of as the true God of meaning and purpose in life. What Solomon or the critic is saying is that religion under the sun and an impression of God under the sun apart from divine revelation is only a God that meets out judgment when he wants and pulls himself back when he wants He's certainly a creator. He's the architect, but does he really care? Does he really love? If you're quick to turn in your Bibles, go to the book of Romans, please, chapter 1. Let me just show you something here that will be a kind of a, a last point before we land the plane here. Romans 1.18. We've gone over this a bunch of times, but it bears repeating in this moment. Because people without a personal relationship with God, people without a covenant relationship with God, already have a view of God. God gave it to them himself. Look at what it says in verse 18. The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of men who suppress the truth by their wickedness. Since what may be known about God is plain to them because God has made it plain to them. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power, and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made, so that men are without excuse. What this is telling us is that every person, I think it was Blaise Pascal, the great French philosopher, said that with every person there's a God-shaped void that only God can fill. God has sort of written the signature over every person's heart. He's saying, I've made you, I've created you, I am God, there is no other. And people go through life with a a vague understanding of that, but apart from specific revelation, general revelation, we look at creation, we say, oh, isn't God amazing? And who's going to argue? Yeah, God made it everything, even if they think God is the God of evolution or that God just sort of set things in motion. All right. God says, I've put my spirit in your heart so that you know, you know that you're a creation of mine. But apart from the specific revelation, the special revelation of God that reveals who God is, that he's a God that uh, has meted out his wrath on his own son, Jesus Christ, so that we as lost sinners could have access to a, a pure and holy God, If we don't know the specific revelation that God reveals to us in his word that the whole Bible outside of the book of Ecclesiastes teaches, we go through our lives just thinking of God as a cosmic X. He's the architect of the universe, perhaps. There's something big out there. He's the man upstairs. He's put it in any metaphor that you want. But you know what? There's a lot of people that are just quite satisfied with that understanding of God. Me and God were okay. Have you ever figured out God? No. Have you ever known his plan and purpose for your life? No. I'm good with just knowing that there's a bigger power out there. If you want to call him God Jehovah, fine. I'll just call him, you know, Cosmic X. And our society is just reveling in that today. Just be spiritual. Just have some sense of a bigger power than yourself. Just and I just, I, the Spirit of God groans when we as believers in Christ are not telling people specifically who God is 
and the true nature of his will as revealed in his word and that he, he declared himself to be the savior of the world when he sent his only son, Jesus, to die for our sins, to give us eternal life so that we could come alive to the real reason we exist, to glorify God and enjoy him forever and ever and ever. So that we could enjoy him. This is what God wants for every person here today. And the dark matter of Ecclesiastes, these meaning busters are going to lead us right into that place where we say, oh God, I am desperate. Would you show me who you are? And God says, good. That's what I love to do. John 1. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld his glory, glory as the one and only begotten of the Father. All right, so we turn the corner. That's enough of the dark matter. Next week, counterbalance. What it means to be alive in Christ. And that's what we're going to see in the book of Ecclesiastes. Let's go to the Lord right now.